want to ask the question, who is the king of Christmas? And before we kind of go too much further, I want to recognise it's not Cliff Richard. Uh, I know his dominance over the last five decades of Christmas number ones is for all to see, but he's not the king. Uh, Apple computers also are not the king of Christmas, uh, despite uh, being all over the press this week as being apparently the most culture-forming company in the w- worldwide at the moment. Also, it's not John Lewis. Now, apparently this week it's been said that their adverts over the last three years have been the most influential in our country of our purchasing uh, the last few Christmases. If it's not them, who is the king uh, of Christmas? In the Christmas narrative that we just heard, I I think there are two people that kind of vie for that position, aren't they? They're named as such, King Herod and King Jesus. And they represent, if you like, two seats of power. And over the next, just now I've got eight minutes, I think it is, um, I want to do three things very quickly. I want to contrast their rule and their power. Then secondly, what I want to do is uh, what, see what their rule and their power reveals about them. And thirdly, I want to see if there's any lessons that we can learn from both of those. So firstly, I want to contrast their rule and their power. Now imagine if you can, if I had a drink in my hand right now, am I king over that drink? Well, I would be, wouldn't I? Because I can, if you like, decide the fate of that drink. I can decide to consume that drink or just to leave it. I am king over it because I have the power to decide each way. The English historian Lord Acton famously once said, power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. I want to challenge that because I don't think that's true. You see, power doesn't have in and of itself the power to corrupt us. Rather, what power does, it exposes who we are. The power itself isn't the problem, it's the person with the power who is the problem. And you may be thinking of your boss right now, but don't go there right now if you can. So thinking about our initial question, who is the king of Christmas? The question I guess we want to ask is who has the power and what they choose to do with it? I want to contrast, therefore, very quickly, the two kings within the passage here. King Herod first and then King Jesus. King Herod, let me just quickly run through some of his, not Wikipedia, some of his biography if I can. He was uh, named King Herod the Great. Uh, by many, born 73 BC, and he very, very savvy politician, took advantage of a political unrest in the area of Judea and, and got control under Roman rule. He kept orders through a kind of a KGB-like police, a secret police. He was a t- tyrannical and a very brutal ruler. But he got things done. He was an immense architect, and loads of buildings were created by Herod the Great, and you can still see either their ruins or their buildings today. But he possessed what in Latin was called the Ius Gladi. That is, he, he had the right of the sword. That's what that literally means. If he said, chop off that person's head, the head was chopped off. And as a result, his, history tells us that that power that he possessed exposed him Who he was, what does that look like with that power of rule? Well, he killed his father-in-law, several of his ten wives, seven or eight, and two of his own children. Of course, later on in the passage that we've heard read, chapter 2, verse 16 says he also killed all the baby boys in Bethlehem under the age of two. So let me summarise. Herod's rule, it's regal. 
It's powerful. It's tyrannical, yes. And as a result, he's a wealthy man. But many people in history would note he's a very smart man too. Let me contrast that with Jesus, if I may. Uh, he, he appears here in this narrative as a helpless baby. Hardly a powerful picture, is it? He's born into poverty and all through his life he never knew material wealth that you know or I know. Therefore, in many ways, in, in comparison to Herod, the rule, the power of Jesus seems at first glance just, well, negligible, doesn't it? For Herod, though, his, uh, his rule was brief and we mustn't be fooled by first appearances of Jesus. Herod's rule lasted kind of but a breath in a sense. At the moment of his execution, his power vanished when Caesar got a little bit annoyed with him. Roman authorities thought that would be the case for Jesus, didn't they? But quite the opposite was true. As they crucified him to death on a cross, they all thought, well, that's going to stop any power that he's ever had. His followers, they're going to keep quiet now. But did they? No. In fact, his followers grew in number and because... Their crucified king had been noted in many histories that actually he had risen from the dead, that he had the power over death. Well, they couldn't stop the church growing. Greek historians, Roman historians, Jewish historians all note the miraculous rebirth of Jesus, his resurrection. His apostles then went went around teaching about him, performing miracles in his power, Despite the Roman persecution, the church just couldn't stop growing. So you see, Jesus' rule and his power, at first glance, when you look at him in this manger, it looks like nothing. And yet, as he grows up through his life, and more significantly through his death and his resurrection, there is huge power on display Secondly, therefore, let's see what their power and their rule reveals about them, if we can. Herod, historically, is known as a despotic ruler. His power is exercised tyrannically, and historians tell us it revealed a man again, again, and again, as someone who was riddled with insecurity. The power that he he fought so hard to get revealed what? A vile man. A man who is vengeful, barbaric, self-serving and dispassionate. But his power also revealed his limitations. His rule was limited geographically, that is to the nation and the area of Judea. And his rule and his power was also limited by his years, which were very short. What about Jesus? What does his rule and power reveal about him? Well, I think the magi in our story, they, they kind of, they get it, don't they? We call them kings sometimes. We're not sure about that. But despite that, we, we know that they would have been wealthy, given the gifts, they're intelligent people. And they would have had some kind of kingly power. But here we see they understood this baby was something greater than they were. Something more powerful than they were. Look at verse 6, if you can, on the top left of it, the inside of your sheets. We know there that... They knew that this birth had been foretold many centuries before. They knew a great king, a great ruler was coming. He would come out of Bethlehem, one of many prophecies that, were, that came true. 
And we see in verse 10, they're overjoyed to meet this baby. But why? Why are they overjoyed? What kind of king were they expecting? They knew that they had found not a despotic, tyrannical king, but a king whose power was revealed. How? Well, we see it in the passage as a shepherd king, as a saving king, as a loving king, a king who will save his people, not from just one place, not limited geographically, but from the whole world. Not limited just in a short amount of years, but throughout all time. See, the Magi, they didn't trust their senses. Their eyes were looking at something so incredibly fragile. A baby in a manger. But they trusted their minds, their hearts, because they knew this baby was a king. A promised king. A saving king. A loving king. So who, who is the true king of Christmas? Last uh, question, if you like. Is it Herod or is it Jesus? What can we learn from this? What about Herod? Well, he flexed his muscles for a few years, didn't he? But the power that he had revealed someone who was dreadfully insecure, who longed for more, yet he never got it. Jesus, born in humility, lives in humility, dies in humility, for people with humility. So I ask, who is the king of Christmas? I bet Herod thought he was, until the moment that he was executed. And I ask, therefore, what about you? You might flex your muscles for a few years in London, do your things your way, live your life your way as you please. And essentially, you'll sit down and you're enjoying a wonderful time this Christmas, and essentially you're saying, hey, I'm the king of my Christmas. And perhaps you think you are. But what will the power that you exercise reveal in you and what will it lead to? Jesus exercised, you see, his power to love and to save. It didn't look impressive at first, did it? But like the Magi, you and I need to go beyond the stable, beyond the straw, to the cross and the empty grave. Because there is power. The Magi, you see, they get it. They came to worship Jesus as a baby. They were overjoyed. Why? Because they'd done exactly that. They looked beyond stable and straw and they'd gone to cross an empty grave. And they saw a power and a rule that first Christmas that it reached to them. And it was for them. It wasn't self-serving. Rather, it was sacrificial. It wasn't tyrannical, rather it was loving, merciful, eternally kind. My friends, who's the king of your Christmas? Who has the power, the rule, the reins of your life, if you like? And what is that leading to? The Magi, these wise, wealthy, powerful men as they were, they came to find this baby Jesus and they worshipped him. They gave themselves, literally that word they means they gave themselves to him. They essentially said, Jesus, baby as you are right now, you are the saving, loving, promised king from God for me. And I trust you. I trust you with my life. 
and with my death. Who is the king of your Christmas? Whose power and whose rule do you trust in your life and with your death? Because there's only two options really this Christmas. It's either you trust the eternally loving, saving King Jesus born in a, in a manger. Or you're on your own and you trust yourself eternally. I'm going to pray briefly, then we're going to sing, and as we sing, a whole bunch of children are going to come and join us again. Let me pray. Dear Lord God, we do thank you so much for this amazing story, but let's not underestimate that word. This is historical narrative, attested by many, many other histories. And therefore, these wise men, as they came to visit this baby born in a manger, and what they recognised is, is as true then as it is today, that Jesus is worthy of our worship. He is worthy for us to declare him as king, not only of Christmas, but each of our lives too. Heavenly Father, wherever we're at uh, this moment, please give us moments this Christmas time amongst all the fun, amongst all the times we have with our friends and our family, amongst all the lovely food and the presents and all the good things that we enjoy. Please give us moments to think, to ponder. Why do a bunch of very, very wealthy, wise men travel so far with such expensive gifts to come and worship a baby? It is because he is the promised Christ, the Lord of all. May we consider that wonderful truth, I pray, this Christmas time. Amen. We're going to sing. Uh, it's uh, probably the greatest carol of all. Hark the Herald.